Hallelujah. This is a wonderful time of the year, isn't it? And, you know, the majority of nativity scenes that you see, they center around Mary and Joseph and the baby. And, and uh, then there's the shepherds and the wise men. But uh, there's a, another set of characters that we want to talk about today. And it's quite a few. I don't even know if we, we wouldn't be able to go into all of these characters. But I'd like to open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 and just show you where this begins. But going to Matthew and chapter 1, Matthew, the first two chapters of his book, begin to share some things and prepare the ground for the most wonderful event that has ever happened. Can anything more marvelous, more wonderful have happened outside of Christmas? Imagine that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, being born in a manger. Imagine that. That's a, just thinking about that moment. But what makes that moment even more special is the fact that it had been prophesied about it had been planned out by a God who knows everything. How many know a God like that? Right? He knows everything. And what I want to focus on today, of course, is on some of these prophecies, but I want you to see the, the power of prophetical utterances in God's Word. You know, about 25% of the Bible is prophetical, and probably even more than that when you begin to take into consideration so much that's been written. A lot of people explain that, uh, a lot of way they, they say it is the New Testament is Christ revealed, and the Old Testament is Christ concealed. But aren't you glad your eyes are open to see who Christ really is? Amen? In Matthew chapter 1, it begins by saying, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the son of Abraham. And then there's a long list of names that I don't even want to try to pronounce. But it be- Matthew begins by explaining that Jesus is actually the son of David and the son of Abraham. Now, we don't often consider Abraham a prophet, but fact is, he actually foresaw many things of what Christ was going to do. In fact, we'll look in just a little bit. Jesus actually said that Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. (laughs) Imagine that. David also. In fact, many Psalms are quoted in the New Testament. David saw things. God opened his eyes to see things, the whole crucifixion. And imagine that Jesus is called the son of David. Even that's part of that prophetical fulfillment, that Jesus would be born into the family line of David. That was all planned out. That was one of the prophecies that went forth. It says he shall sit upon the throne of his father David. It was a prophecy made by Isaiah in chapter 9 of Isaiah. He shall sit upon the throne of his father David. It was all planned out, even which family he was going to be born into. And if you go on down in the chapter, of course we see how uh, Joseph found out that his wife was with child, if we can see that. And then he thought he'd put her away. You know the story. But it said all that that it might be fulfilled. Look in verse 22. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 22. It says, so all this was done, all this was done, that it might be fulfilled. Can you say those words with me? That it might be fulfilled. Let's say that again. That it might 
be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, let's say this uh, verse together also, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Can you imagine Mary holding Emmanuel, God with us? That's another, that's another character. I can't get into that one. But imagine a scene taking place that night. Now, Isaiah prophesied some 700 years. We'll see some of these things. I'm going to do a little illustration to help you to see how these prophecies came into, into play here. But this was prophesied about that a virgin shall be with child. Just the fact of a woman giving birth, not having ever known a man, that's a miracle in itself, isn't it? Imagine that. But it was also prophesied about. And by Isaiah, Isaiah saw this. It says in John that Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus and spoke of him. These prophets, they saw things. God gave them glimpses of heaven, heavenly things. Now when we go on to chapter 2, I'd love to talk about the wise men, but that's another topic. I can't get into that one either. <laughs> that's another Sunday. But in chapter 2, when the wise men came, they wanted to know where the Christ was going to be born. Strangely enough, the ones that knew where he was going to be born weren't the ones to go and find him. That's a whole other story, but you know it's possible to know it all and not have any of it? How many would say amen to that? It's possible to know all the facts and not have any of it. Well, they knew exactly where he was going to be born. But they weren't interested in finding him. And how did they know? Because it was spoken by the prophets. So you see that the prophets were the original characters, the first come people of the nativity. Thousands, uh, a thousand, or even in Abraham's case, even 2,000 years before the nativity, they were there. The words had already gone before them. And let's read verse 5. This is what the... Uh, the religious leaders told these wise men about the birth of Christ. And here's what they said in verse 5. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And this is the prophet Micah, who was somewhat contemporary with Isaiah. And go to the next verse. Let's read this together. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This was prophesied by Micah, Micah chapter 5, prophesying exactly where Jesus was going to be born. But that wasn't even where he was from. There was a whole set of circumstances that took place. All kinds of things had to be moved. How many know he's got the whole thing planned out? How amazing. Just so happened, right? Just so happened that there was taxation going on during that time. Just so happened that they had to go back to the city of, uh, of their, of their uh, family and, and where they had to uh, register for taxation. Just so happened to be like that. And there Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Just so happened that it was at that very moment that, that uh, Mary was ready to give birth. Not like, not just so happened, is it? God doesn't leave anything to chance, does he? God had it all planned out. They knew exactly where. Let me show you something in 1 Peter. I'd like to take you to the book of 1 Peter. 
And look what Peter says about these Old Testament prophets. In 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 8, Peter begins to say some, talking about the salvation that God's given to us. You know, God could have sent down a heavenly band-aid and fixed all of our problems, don't you think so? Right? Why did he go to all these lengths? Why did he do the, go through all this planning, thousands of years, hundreds of years before the birth of Christ? Why did God do all of that? Why were these men in play? Why did God have prophets speak out these words ahead of time? What was the purpose of it? I want to show you some of that today. And I want you to understand how powerful the Word of God is. How many know this is a wonderful book? It's wonderful. The words there are alive. Bible says in Psalms 119 that the word is forever settled in heaven. It's forever established. It's a wonderful word. Well, Peter begins talking about our salvation. He says, whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then he goes on to say about the salvation that you and I experience. Let me just say that that salvation that God's provided for us, it's more than just forgiveness of sins. It's more than that. It's about restoring. It's about changing us. Have you ever met somebody that says, well, that's just the way I am. That's the way my parents are, and that's the way I am too. You ever met somebody like that? Have you ever said that? That's just the way I am. You've got to live with me. Well, you know what? God can change us. Do you believe that? Jesus went all the way to the cross. He came all the way down to that manger, was born, walked upon this earth for 33 and a half years. He went through all of that to provide a salvation that's absolutely amazing. That not only can he forgive our sins, not only can he wash us clean, not only can he put new life in us, but he can change us. He can transform us. If God can take all the circumstances in the world to bring about the birth of his son Jesus in a manger, don't you think he can change things in our life also? Don't you think so? Don't you think he can change things in impossible situations? God can turn it all around because he's in control. Amen? He says, of this salvation. Let me hear you say this salvation. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that should come to you. Searching. They were searching. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the praise that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have, been pre- who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Even the angels are wondering, what is this all about? What is this? They're, they're scratching their heads wondering what kind of salvation God has planned for us. But these prophets, when they spoke, it says they were searching as they were speaking of things that they knew would be in the future. Many of the things they spoke, had uh, there was a fulfillment for the day they lived in, and there was also that same word would be a fulfilled in Christ. And they wondered, what is this that we're speaking? What is this 
that we're speaking. So these Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah, Hosea, these prophets that prophesied, they searched, they wondered, what, what is it that's going on inside of me? What are these words that I'm speaking about? They knew that something wonderful was coming. They knew about it, and they were excited about it. I'd like to, to take you, to, if I can, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke in chapter 24. And just briefly, understanding where this is at, this is the time that Jesus was on the road to Emmaus. Actually, some two disciples, and a lot of people think it might have been a man and a wife that were disciples. And as they were walking, they were talking. Jesus came along with them, and he heard them talking about how sad they were that they thought Jesus was going to be the Messiah, and he wasn't. I can't imagine how Jesus could keep quiet and say, hey, here I am. I'm alive. (laughs) But he didn't do that. Instead, he looked at them, and he began to give them a Bible study. And notice what he did. It says, as Jesus spoke, what he did was beginning at Moses and, let me hear you say all, all the prophets. He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Imagine that, the, the prophets, Moses, which, which is considered Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, Deuteronomy, those first five books, the Pentateuch, Moses and all the prophets. He gave them a Bible study that I would have loved to have heard. Wouldn't have you? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I've heard some wonderful teaching. I've heard some uh, people expounding on these things. But to have Jesus himself say, I don't, know how, I don't even know how he did this, but he managed to give them a Bible study about himself and yet not tell them who he was. Because they didn't know who he was. It says their eyes were, were like, like shut or blinded somehow. They couldn't figure out where he was, who he was. And he gave them this Bible study. And then it says as they got close to the village. I, I love this. Look at the next verse. As they, as they got close to the village. You got it there? Okay. What did he do? He acted like he was going to go a little further. He, act, he indicated that he would have gone further. Because what was he asked? What was he waiting for? What was he waiting for? Why did he act like that? Why, did he, why was he just going to continue on? They were going to go to their house. Why did he act like he was going to go further? He wanted what? He needed the, the invitation. Have you given Jesus an invitation to tell you a little bit more? Well, they went to the house. They broke bread. The moment he, they broke bread, he vanished. That would have been amazing, right? Totally disappeared. And what did they say? Our hearts were burning. Our hearts were burning. If we go on down and later on, Jesus met with his disciples. They were all gathered together. I don't know what they were talking about. They were doubting. They were wondering where this Jesus has gone. What what should they do? Should they go back fishing or not? But all of a sudden, Jesus appears in their midst, shows them he can eat fish. He says, look, I'm not a ghost. I have a body. This is my body. Touch my hands. Here I am right in front of you. And upon doing that, then he said uh, in verse 31, I'm sorry, a little wrong place here. The next verse is uh, verse 44. And he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be, can you all say all things? Let me hear you say it again. All things. You know, I, uh, I heard a preacher share that he actually looked the word all up in the Greek. 
in the original language. And gosh, you know what that word means? Oh, yeah. You've heard the same preacher probably, right? Okay. Good, good, good. All right. So all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. That's the law of Moses and the prophets and also what? The Psalms concerning me. Again, another, and it says in verse 45, it says, He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. That's amazing, isn't it? He just opened their mind to understand it. Let me just give a little quick illustration if I can. Understanding prophecy, perhaps this is probably the best, best way I can explain it to you. Let me just show you something about time. And if we can, turn to Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 57. Isaiah chapter 57, God reveals something wonderful about himself and his nature. Let's read this together. For thus says, you got it? The high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place with him who is contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. What I want to do, I just want to show you something here. I'm going to need one more helper here. Who wants to help me out here? All right, here we go. I want you to consider this. Here's Abraham. There's David at 1000 BC. Everything was already in God's mind before he began writing it down for us. How many say amen to that? Abraham, 2000 BC, he saw the day of Christ, and Jesus said he saw my day and rejoiced. Now, I did look that word up in the Greek, okay? The word rejoice, where it says, where Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, that word literally means to do this, to jump up and down and spin around with emotion and ecstasy. Abraham was excited to see the day of Jesus Christ. He was excited. And I think part of it, part of the day he rejoiced was the day when he was offering up his own son on the, cross, on, on the altar. And on the way up to that mountain to perform that feat of faith, Abraham, uh, Isaac says, Dad, you know, here, you know, here's the wood for the offering, but where's the sacrifice? Do you remember what Abraham said? He said, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. I don't know that he even knew what he was saying at that point because he was ready with the knife to kill his own son. If he really thought God was going to provide in that moment, he probably would have just been, you know, pausing and looking around and waiting, but he was ready to kill his own son. I think at that moment, he was prophetically speaking about someone who was going to give their only son, and that was God on the cross. What an amazing thing. Moses, down the road here, Isaiah and Micah. But what I want to explain here, if I can, with this, is the fact that this is just a timeline, but I want you just to think for a minute. All of this was already in God's mind, spoken to existence. God, it says in Isaiah 57, in Isaiah 57, what we were just looking at, God inhabits eternity. This is a small timeline. Somewhere around here is the birth of Christ. Somewhere on down the road, it, it belongs to you and I, even further down here. All of this is just a timeline. But where does God inhabit? What does, the Bible says he inhabits eternity. He inhabits not the line that we're living in. He inhabits all this room, we could say. If we called all this room eternity, that's what God inhabits. 
You and I are just a little dot on this line. God knows the past. He knows the future. He lives in eternity. He inhabits eternity. Can you see that? Okay, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> Give him a hand. Hey, wait a minute. For, for Adam, at least, there's a happy meal for you. <laughs> Can't have McDonald's. <laughs> Bob Evans. We'll get a Bob Evans card. Okay. Um, but I want you to understand this idea of, of, of how God, it's like a book. If, you were to write, if I were to write a book about Ray's life, I would sit down and I would begin thinking, okay, you know, first, you know, he was born or this happened. His parents met, he was born. This happened and next, I would think of all the events. And as the author of that story, I can turn to any page I want in that book, can I? I can look at the end. In fact, even you, as you read the famous book about Ray, you can look at any page. You know, like, like that, God looks down upon time just like that. The Bible says, Isaiah 57, he inhabits eternity. Let's read that together. He inhabits eternity. In Psalm 90, a beautiful psalm. We won't take time to read it, but it's a psalm written by Moses where in that psalm he says, God, you are God from everlasting to everlasting. Right? He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. He is the everlasting God. Also talks about how underneath us, in Deuteronomy 33, it says, underneath us are the everlasting arms. How many thank God you, that he's eternal? Amen? And the fact is, is that, like we mentioned in the beginning, there are many prophecies throughout the Bible. There are 60 major prophecies in the New Testament, quoted from the Old Testament, and there are probably 300 plus more prophecies that would be like things, even types and shadows. The fact that, for instance, they didn't break Jesus' bones when he was up on, they didn't break his legs when he was on the cross. That filled, that fulfilled a type and shadow of the Passover lamb. It was on Passover that he was crucified. Is that right? All of that. How is that even possible? I want to give you just one more illustration today, if I can, about the idea of probability and prophecy. Because if you understand how utterly impossible it would be for all of these prophecies to come to pass, fulfilled by one person, you would have to say, there's a God. Amen? You'd have to say, there's a God. I need three more volunteers up here if I can. I do have a couple more gift cards up here. I just want to show you something really quick. There we go. Thank you. Oh, Father and Son. That works. I want a gift card. Huh? I want a gift he card. wants a gift card. <laughs> All right. I want to explain something to you real quick today. If I have three baskets up here, each of these baskets have ten numbers in them. If I were to take one basket here, and I would ask Randy, I said, you know, take one out of here. What would be the chances that he would pick out a number one? What would be the chances? Who could tell me? One in ten. Okay. So then if I, went, I went to Nick, and I said, Nick, now I got two baskets, ten numbers here, ten numbers here, and I want you to pick one out of each. What would be the possibility that he could pick out, say, like a, a one and a two out of the other one? What would be the possibilities of that? Anybody got that figured out? You would think one in twenty, right? But it's not. It's one in 100. It multiplies. So with that in mind, if I get my third bigger bowl here, bigger basket, say, now, Ray, I got all three of these baskets. What's the possibility of you picking out numbers in here 
that can uh, be sequential, like say three, four, five, or one, two, three, or something like that. What would be the possibilities in three baskets, ten numbers in each basket? What's the possibility? One, one out of a thousand. That's right. It keeps on multiplying, doesn't it? Think about that. Okay, so let's try this. Let's see what happens here, okay? Take one, one, one out of each basket. Okay. All right, now you look at those numbers real quick, and let's see the possibility of sequential numbers, like one, two, and three, or something like that. What did you get? He got one, two, and three. How many would say he's really lucky? Well, let's put him back, and let's, let's try this again. Fold him up really good. Doesn't matter. Okay, there we go. Let's see, like, some sequential numbers for you, and here we go. What's the possibility of them drawing three numbers and out of three baskets with ten numbers each? Let's find out here. Okay, what did you get? He got one, two, and three also. Give him a hand. Isn't that amazing? How, how about, go ahead. What do, what do you? No, he's, he's, he's the best he knows ahead of time. I don't know. This was going to be one, right? It's going to be what? My left or right? I don't know. I can't get away from that. It's a one. Give him a hand. One out of a thousand chances to be able to get one in sequential numbers out of these baskets. How many are just absolutely amazed? What's wrong with these people? Nobody's amazed? How many are a little bit skeptical? All right, well, okay, here, let's see. Let's see, well, since you were the first one up, there you go. And, Ray, I guess I'm going to have to, well, I do have one for you. Oh, there you go. $100 bill. I'll give you two. Oh, thanks. There you go. (laughs) Listen to me now. You weren't really amazed because you knew it's all rigged ahead of time, right? Okay. One out of a thousand chances. Let me just put this PowerPoint up. I want you to think about it. Someone did some probability testing as far as Jesus Christ being able to fulfill just eight of the many prophecies of the Old Testament about Christ. Just eight of those prophecies. Only eight. I told you there are 60 major prophecies and 300 plus of other prophecies. So he did some probability testing. This is actually a, a science. Uh, this man a, a, uh, has, a, has his degree in science and he figured out just eight out of 60 prophecies the possibility of one man fulfilling all of those prophecies, those eight prophecies, is one out of 10 to the 17th power. That means 17 zeros up there. Okay, here's what that means. There we go. Texas is 262,400 square miles. It's 7 trillion square feet. That's a lot of zeros. That's 12, 12 places there. Square inches, it's 1 quadrillion. That's 10 to the 15th power. That's how many square inches in the state of Texas. Now, now go to the next screen. Now just think about this for a minute. The possibility of all the prophecies about Christ being fulfilled would be 1 out of 10 to the 17th power. That's uh, 100 quadrillion. If you were to take a quarter, which is about an inch in size, that's enough to cover the entire state of Texas with quarters one foot deep. Now imagine we've all pitched in our quarters and we've covered the state of Texas one foot deep with quarters. 
Now we're going to ask a man to go into that state and pick out one specially marked quarter. How many think you'd be able to find it? No, not at all. All right, you can take that down now. I just wanted to, to me, that's fascinating. To me, it shows. In fact, if you read through Isaiah, God explains, he says, I am the first and I am the last. I proclaim the end from the beginning. I already know what's going to happen. Ask any of your gods. And God is actually, through Isaiah, he's challenging the gods of the other nations, the people that believe in those gods made with men's hands. He says, ask them and see if they can tell you the end from the beginning. See if they can do what I can do. I've already told you what's going to take place. Because God doesn't leave anything to chance. Can you say amen? He doesn't leave one single thing to chance. God has it all planned out. And yet he gives us free will. That makes his sovereignty even greater. Let me say that again. God has it all planned out. And yet he's given us free will, which makes his sovereignty even greater. Because he already knows. He inhabits eternity. He's eternal. These prophecies, and God is specifically designed. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to tell Isaiah. He didn't have to put those words in Isaiah's mouth that the virgin shall be with child and his name shall be called Emmanuel. He didn't have to do that. Isaiah was wondering, why did I say that? He was actually asked a question by the king at that, at that time, and the king was saying, I don't want a sign, but God, Isaiah says, no, I'm going to give you a sign. A virgin shall be with child. And I'm sure Isaiah was thinking, what is this? And I was saying, what am I speaking about? The Bible says they inquired diligently, what is this that I'm talking about? Some beautiful event that's going to take place. Some glorious event that's going to take place. God has it all planned out. Do you think we can let him manage our lives also? What do you think? Even Jesus told his disciples two occasions in John 13 and John chapter 14, Jesus said, I've told you these things that they're going to happen so that when they happen, you'll believe. It's amazing. It's amazing. God knows. God is in control. Can you say amen? In fact, that, that was only taken eight prophecies. But if you were to take 48 prophecies, it increases to 10 with a, 157 zeros. <laughs> Imagine that. In fact, if you were to count that far, if you could count 250 every minute, it would take you 19 million years to finish counting that number. That's the probability that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Just think about that for a minute. God didn't have to do that. He could have sent a Band-Aid from heaven, and we'd be all fixed up and go on do what we want to do. He didn't do that. He didn't have to tell us what he was going to do. He could have just done it. He could have just sent Christ. But he did all of that so that we can believe, and not just head faith. A lot of people say they believe. A lot of people talk about faith that they have, but we're talking about a living relationship. I trust my God. I know that he knows what he's doing. He knows my life better than I. I can surrender to him. Anyone say amen to that?
just think for a minute. I want you to think for a minute with, with Moses. Moses was one of those prophets, and all that he saw in the tabernacle, the sacrifices of Christ, he was up there on the mountain and got all these plans. God gave it to him. Plans of how to build the tabernacle just right. How many chapters just on the tabernacle about the sacrifices, the lamb that had to be sacrificed, all of that written down as a shadow of what Jesus Christ fulfilled for us. Can you say hallelujah? No wonder Moses' face was shining when he came down from that mountain. Those people on the road to Emmaus, it says our hearts were burning to see that God has such things already planned out. I wonder, I, this is, again, I'm jumping ahead to Mary and Joseph and the other characters of the Nativity, but I wonder what Mary was thinking. Wow, what a privilege that I was born at such a time. What a privilege. Here I am holding the fulfillment of so many prophecies in that one moment of time. What do you think? Do you think we can surrender our lives to Christ? Do you think we can say, God, you gave us all this in your word just to show us how you have the whole thing planned out? Not only did God just speak prophetically about the birth of Christ and his crucifixion, but there's a lot in God's word about his second coming too. How many know he's coming back soon? The probability of him coming the first time was completely fulfilled. How much more his second coming? Then we have the whole book of Revelation. How many think that maybe John might have had a pizza dream when he saw that he saw? I don't think so. God gave us that information ahead of time. If you're wondering who's winning the battle, you can always look at the end of the book and read it and find out. Have you done that? God has it all purposed, all planned out. These prophets that spoke of the nativity, the crucifixion of Christ, and all that's in God's word, all of that was done so that you and I can believe and know that God is in control. Can you say amen? Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him. For God so loved us. Think about that. All that Pastor David spoke about today of what Jesus did, all the prophecies, all that came true when Jesus was born, lived and died on a cross, all for you and me. You and me. He loved us so much. Loved us so much. And as Pastor David said, he did. He told us all of that beforehand that we should believe. Now, he told that to them. Now, we have it all written down. It should be easy for us to believe what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the wonderful prophecies that pointed to the coming of Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that you came, fulfilling all of those prophecies. 
And I thank you that you carried out that plan to the death on the cross, your death, your resurrection, your ascension, and you sent the Holy Spirit to us. That we might be those who would let our light so shine before men. That others who are in darkness would come to the light. So that they too can experience what we have experienced. Thank you, Jesus. Is there anyone here this morning that would say, Pastor Rod, I want to believe. I've never surrendered my heart to Jesus. But this morning, because the story was told to me, and all of that was fulfilled for me, I want to surrender my heart to Jesus today. Is anybody here? Say, Pastor Rod, let me surrender my heart to Jesus today. Thank you, Lord. I want to give all of us a challenge to let your light shine this holiday season, this Christmas season. Let your light shine. That as we walk through these stories of the Old Testament, the characters of the Old Testament, that I would be a character for the nativity today. That I would let my light so shine. How many of you would just slip up your hand and say, Rod, I want to be a light in the world I live in. Slip your hand up and slip it back down. I want to be a light in the world I live in. I want people to see Jesus in me. Lord, you've seen these hands. Sometimes, Lord, it's difficult. Sometimes life hits us. Sometimes we make choices that are not the choices we should make. Some things, but Lord, we want to, in our heart, we want to be a light that so shines in this dark world. So, Lord, help us. Help us to be those lights. Help us, Lord, to have the courage to invite someone to church this next week. Someone who don't know you. Someone who sees Christmas as a a time for toys and presents and lights and decorations. But they look past all of that. That they would look past all of that and see the reason, Jesus. Lord, it may be just that invitation. That invitation to come. Come to church with me Sunday. Come to church with me and see the Jesus, the real Jesus of the nativity. Thank you, Father. God bless us as we go. Give us a great week. Bring us back again next week, Father, so that we may celebrate who you are in this holiday season. In the name of Jesus, everyone said.